Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to brentwoodchurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. Jump right in. Romans chapter 8. We've been in a series Uh, called squeezed because life is going to give you lemons. You know that. It looks pretty on the outside. It's yellow. Oh, and then you kind of get through that tough exterior and you get in. It's like, oh, that's sour. How do you make that into lemonade? The great news is the Bible tells us how to do that. It shows us how we as followers of Jesus Christ can see to it that all things that we face in life, the good and the bad, the struggles and the triumphs, the tragedies and the losses, all of that can become miraculous hope and help if we are willing to see it and if we're willing to step in and experience it. And so we're going to look at a truth today uh, that sort of pushes this series forward. I'm going to get to Romans in just a second. Um, I picked my son up from lacrosse practice this past week. Um, Clearly, by the way he was holding his arm and kind of moaning a little bit. Uh, He had been hurt, and I asked him kind of what was up, and he described how one of his teammates kind of checked him really hard and how it hurt and it was bruising and and that sort of thing. And, you know, this would have been a wonderful moment to just, you know, kind of, you know, bring him into my chest and nurture him like his mother would. You know, it's okay, sing a little lullaby, you know, that sort of thing. You know, pet his little red hair, it's okay, But I said, welcome to manhood, bro. (laughs) Yeah, I got a witness right there. I got a witness. And, and you know, dads aren't always emotionally intelligent. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we just don't read the emotion of the moment, and we just try to make a a, a truth. And and he kind of was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, dad. I get that. I, I understand that. But why can't you just, you know, just give me a moment? Uh, but but we don't sometimes. We, we sometimes just want to just speak truth, and we want to get. But, but life is the same way. You know, we, if we're going to get in the game, and we're going to get the reward of the win, we're going to get hurt. We're going to get bruised. If you're going to get the payoff of deep and meaningful relationships, mainly your marriage or future marriage, but even friendships... You're going to get hurt along the way. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience struggle in that. Same thing with career risk. If your business is going to go to the next level, if, you're, if whatever that venture you're on is going to go to the next it, it requires some struggle. It requires some pain in order to get to that place. I could keep going. I could talk about spiritual breakthroughs. If you're going to overcome that addiction that's killing you, and killing your life right now, it's going to require you to struggle through some things and to get bruised along the way so that you can get to this next place. And that's what we're going to see today, that life is difficult in this broken world, and yet God, God gives us a promise. There are three ways we don't want to handle tough times, and I want to go through these real quickly so that we can know exactly how God wants us to look and how to embrace them. Number one is defensive. We can get defensive with struggle and pain, which basically means that we, we kind of close ourselves. Uh, we stay in the house, if you will. If I, if I don't leave the house, if I don't put myself in dangerous or demanding situations, maybe a meteor won't, you know, won't fall out of the sky and, and kill me. Uh, if I don't put myself in, in, in demanding relationships or if I, if I just don't go to certain places in relationships, I won't have to carry heavy emotions. 
And so what we do is we have a defensive posture to struggle and pain. And the challenge with that is, is that in trying to avoid the mess of life, we also avoid the meaning of it. And what ends up happening is the mess shows up anyway. So a defensive look at struggle and pain is not healthy, and it's not going to pay off the way we want it to. The next one is denial. That's where we put our heads in the sands emotionally, spiritually, even physically sometimes. You know, I'm going to deny the struggle. I'm going to deny the pain. You know, it's not really happened. La, 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 this isn't going on. You guys, maybe that's where you are. You kind of just like, no, my marriage is not in trouble. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, you know, and meanwhile, your spouse is dying on the vine because you're in denial because you don't want to carry heavy emotions. You don't want to work through and get bruised in, in tough times. The, 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 ta- the challenge of that, though, is that you don't deal with reality. And there's a lot of people who walk around who don't deal with reality. You know what I'm talking about. They just don't deal with reality. They don't live in it. There's always a, a side or a spin or, you know, well, that's not really happening. And what's terrible about that or what's challenging about that is that in denying reality, we can't get to the wisdom. We can't get to the transformation that struggle and pain can produce in our life because we refuse to recognize it. We refuse to deal with it. And then finally, darkness. This is, this is a person who does not uh, defend against loss and pain. They, they, they get out into the world and they live it. They're not a person who denies that pain exists, that, that reality is that sometimes things are falling apart and they're not going our way and, we're not, and it's not meeting our expectations. But what happens is they begin to go dark in dealing with heavy emotions and heavy situations in life. They begin to think, well, maybe God doesn't love me Maybe God doesn't truly, you know, make good on his promises, and maybe he's lifted his hand of favor on me, and, and we begin to see God as not good anymore, you know, that God is, you know, conspiring against us, that we are a victim of a cosmic deity who really doesn't, uh, you know, love us, and, and I mean, we just kind of, kind of, you know, you know, the reason that this is happening in my life is because, you know, and, and and we can just, we just keep going dark. And it's really easy to go there if you have a, a bend towards that. If your personality type or maybe the way you grew up was to go from light to dark really quick when bad things happen, you know what I'm talking about. These are three very unhealthy ways to deal with pain and struggle. The great news is the Bible tells us the healthy way through it and to see the meaning and the miracle on the other side. And that's what we're going to look at. The Apostle Paul, who not only bought the t-shirt on struggle, he owns the manufacturing company that makes the t-shirts on struggle. If you don't know who I'm talking about because you're new to the church, the Apostle Paul was a guy who wrote about 50% of the New Testament. And this guy was shipwrecked. He had rocks thrown at him. People left him for dead. And in the end, this guy was in prison. I mean, all kinds of things, difficult things happen. And so he is not, he's not speaking or writing to a church that's going through a tough time from a place of, of a white or an ivory tower position. He is a guy who knows what it's like to deal with reality and deal with life in a broken world. In fact, look what he says. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I love 
this illustration that Paul uses. And I think, I think you mothers, you, know, you can relate to this. He says, life in this world is like childbirth. And I don't know if you've ever seen childbirth, but it is painful. It's painful to watch. I can't imagine what it's like to experience. Can I get a witness, ladies? Yes. Okay, look, I've watched three of them up close and, and personal, even with happy drugs. Okay. And it is painful. I can't imagine what it's like to go through it. And, 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 and ladies, I'm not even going to try to think that there are things equivalent that we, we as men can, can deal with. Yeah, so, so I'm not even going to. I just know that it looks very painful. And here's what Paul says. Life is like that. Like, it's like a woman giving birth to a child. I mean, it hurts. And yet the promise is this. On the other side of the pain and on the other side of the struggle is a miracle. Mm, I love that. On the other side of the pain and struggle is hope. On the other side of the pain and struggle is destiny and legacy. Man, that's good. Paul's just like, I'm not a woman and, and I'm certainly not a mother, but man, I'm going to use this illustration because everybody's going to get that. And here we are 2,000 years later going, yeah, that's kind of like life because it does hurt sometimes. But here's the promise. On the other side of it is miracle. On the other side of it is meaning. In fact, write this down. God does not exempt anyone from struggle and pain, but he promises Christ followers will see meaning and miracle in all things. Let me say that again. God does not exempt anyone from struggle or pain. Look, life is hard. It hurts sometimes. But a defensive denial or dark way to handle that is not going to produce meaning and miraculous things that God promises. And we're going to see this. Here's what we do know, that God will show us meaning in the struggle. He will produce miracles in the struggles. In other words, we'll step, we'll step back and go, only God could have done that. That's a miracle. Like, I could have never produced that. I could have never strategized. I could never have disciplined myself. I could have never willpowered it up to do that. Only God could have done that. That's a miracle. And that's the promise that God gives Now, this brings up a question. It's a question that a lot of doubters struggle with when we get into series like this. Or maybe people who who don't go to church and, you know, they may respect your your faith, but they really kind of keep it at a distance. Or every now and then they'll ask you this question. You know why I don't believe in a good God, that God that you always talk about? Because of this. Why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that question? In fact, that might be a question that hurt, like held you back for years from giving your life to Jesus. Why do bad things happen to good people? And so when we get to the promise that we're getting ready to get to, I wanna go ahead and neutralize this question. Because if we don't neutralize this question, you're gonna struggle with it when we get to this truth. And here, here's, it, here's it, this is what's wrong with this question. And, it's, and it's, it's an okay question. It's just flawed at its, at its core. Because number one, it assumes that there are good people. Right? 
And, and what we mean by that is that there are people who've never sinned. And that somehow, if they've never sinned, or maybe not sinned a lot, that they are exempt or immune from all the pain and struggle that the rest of us deal with in life in a broken world. So, so it, it automatically just says, well, I don't believe in a good God because bad things happen to good people. Okay, well, hang on a second. Who, who, who are the people who are just so good enough that they don't, they don't, the rules of a broken world don't apply to them? Well, my, and then they have a, an example. They've never sinned before? Well, they've sinned. Like, they've never manipulated anyone? Yeah. Have they ever lied? Yeah. Well, are they good enough? Well, no, but you know what I mean. No, what do you mean? There was only one sinless person to ever walk the face of the earth. And that was the son of God who became the human Jesus, who lived a full human life, 33 years, never sinned. And guess what? The same rules applied to him. Pain, struggle, crucifixion, death. A better question, I think, is this. Why did good things happen to all us not so good enough people? You ever think about that? You ever just just flip that question around? Why did good things happen? Like, I know bad things happen. I live in this world. It's like childbirth. See, the baby just cried. (laughs) On cue. Why do good things happen? Because there's a good God who overlooks a broken world that he's trying to redeem and goes, man, I'm going to give some meaning to that. Man, I'm going to show up miraculously in that. You ever just think about that? Like, like, like why, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve forgiveness. I, I, des, I deserve justice. I, de, I deserve condemnation. I mean, just the things I think about people, much less how I act towards them. And yet there is a God who created, who spoke all of this. And allowed us to even break it. And even when we break it, he comes back and he says, I'm going to help you fix it. Why do good things happen? That's a better question to us. Not so good enough people. And the answer to that is right here. And I love what Paul says. And we know that in all things, all things. Why don't you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Okay, this side is good. Must be Badger fans. On the count of three. One, two, three. All things. One more time. All things. What is that? That's everything. Everything. Like the bad and the good, the loss and the win, the triumph and the tragedy. All things. A L L. All things. Work together for good, he says. For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I grew up in the church. I know not everybody did, but I did. And, and, and there's a lot of things that, are, that, that were great about that. And there's some things that you have to overcome in that. But, but, but I look back redemptively at some things and, and I go, wow, like I thought that for a long time and that's really wrong. But now, wow, God showed me something. And, and here's the thing. I used to read this and I used to think, 
God only works good things for people who love and believe in him. And the reality is that's not even right. Like God sent Jesus to die for everyone. Everyone. Like all of us. And so he's even working good things out for people who don't believe or love him. People who reject him. You ever step back and go, man, I can't find a job. And that dude over there who doesn't even love and believe in God, in fact, makes fun of me, makes fun of my fish on my bumper. Like everything just works out for him. What's up with that? I mean, I could keep, like, you've got your story. You've got, you know, it's like, you know, why? We can't have a baby. And we love Jesus. And that girl over there, she's having all kinds of babies. And she doesn't even love and know God. Because we look at that kind of go and go, well, if I love and I believe in God, then all things work. God is good. And this world is broken. And he even works good out for people who don't love him. Jesus alone is proof of that. But you have to think about the whole statement. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, the people who can see it. You see, when we love him and we follow Jesus, then we can see meaning in a crucifixion. We can see meaning in a Savior who died on a cross. We can see meaning in the pain and the struggle and the loss and the failure. Pierre Chardin said this, nothing here below is profane for those who know how to see. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. If you, if you follow, if you, if you love Jesus and therefore love your heavenly father, nothing here is a curse because he takes the curse and he brings meaning and miracle to it. He takes what we break and what is broken and he mends it and he says, here's some, here's some truth, here's some wisdom, here's some strength, here's some confidence. Here's what it all means. Here's how much I love you. Why do good things happen to not so good enough people? Because God is good. And those who love him will open their eyes to see it. I think some of you needed to hear that today. Because I think some of you have been coming to church for a long time. And you've been living in defensive or denial or really dark places when it comes to the pain of your life. And the whole time, God is just saying, man, I'm working it out. I'm working it out. Would you trust me? Would you believe me? In fact, I want you to see a story from a family right here in the Brentwood community. Many of you know the story of Nate and Robin Fouts. And uh, since August of last year, kind of the journey that they've been on. I want you to see their perspective when something painful and tragic happens.
we're sitting on the couch, uh, Robin and myself, uh, deciding to have a uh, our, our usual Sunday night family night. And uh, that night was going to be win, lose, or draw, which has been something I've been wanting to do for, for months. And uh, the category of the night was going to be uh, uh, Old Testament Bible stories. The boys wanted to go ride their bikes for a little while. Uh, we had already eaten dinner, and we had a little time before the game was going to be ready, so we said, why not? I would say within about five or ten minutes of that, uh, we had a knock on the door, and uh, we ran to the door, and it was one of the kids uh, that was riding with Josh and Elisha, and uh, he just said very sincerely, uh, Elisha was hit by a car. I just remember after the doorbell rang, or the knock at the door really, and running down the street and then turning that corner and seeing Elisha laying there in his blood, you know. As a parent, you never, ever expect to see that. I knelt down over him and grabbed Elisha's good leg and just uh, I prayed that uh, any uh, any strength that I had would be given to him. And then I remember Josh, I mean, literally running up to me, screaming with tears in his eyes. And he said, Mom, it's all my fault. And... I looked at him, I, I literally, I remember pulling him away and I looked at him and I said, let me tell you something, God was not surprised that today happened. He was not surprised. It was an accident. It wasn't anybody's fault. It just happened. And God is bigger than this. And we're going to see God do something amazing. And on the way to the hospital, I just said, God... You know, when I said that, that supernatural confidence and peace just like enveloped me. I still had to, I just, natural human nature, I was like, I just need to hear you say it, God. And I heard the Lord for me that moment say, um, I was like, God, I need you to heal Elisha. I'm boldly coming before you and I'm reminding you of your word and, um, and every scripture that I've prayed over Elisha. And I, and I said, so I'm asking you to heal him. And I heard the Lord say, you got it. And it's, it's crazy that that, um, that confidence has stayed the course. It's just stayed the course, which proves it's not anything to do with me, but everything to do with him. So the day of Elisha's injury, we really didn't know the extent. We knew that he had had head trauma. We knew that he had had a compound fracture in his left femur. Uh, but we just, we weren't sure what, what the extent of those injuries looked like. I remember uh, the room being filled with seven doctors and a couple nurses and on the floor. And... Uh, the doctors are looking at Elisha and they're looking at Nate and I and they're like, yeah, you just doesn't look good. And, and I, I looked at them so respect, respectfully, I hope, and I said, um, I do respect what you say and I appreciate it because you're doing your job and you guys have done an amazing job. I said, but faith is greater than what I see 
what I feel, what I hear you saying to me. And I said, this little boy is going to baffle you. The one thing we kind of stood on, and the one thing we kept coming back to was that the greater the circumstances, the greater the trial, the greater and the more glory to God in the outcome. And, and that was always very encouraging, knowing um, that, you know, if it wasn't that bad of an injury, uh, then sometimes people would tend to overlook the power of God. They had told us that Elisha would most likely be on a ventilator the rest of his life. He would have to have a feeding tube the rest of his life. Um, a lot of, in a lot of ways that he would be in a vegetative state. And since that time, um, he, three weeks after we left UVA, he was uh, off of a ventilator. Um, he's eating some. Uh, he is uh, moving a lot more and uh, just doing things that they never expected him to do. the community as a whole has just rallied around Elisha in this story and we are hearing parents tell us let me tell you my my son my daughter they don't forget to pray about Elisha I mean we are like it's almost like the situation is training up a generation of kids with enduring faith with perseverance with a commitment to getting on their knees and and praying audacious prayers I know that we will be sharing his story and that Elisha's gonna be telling his own story uh, for years and years to come. I'm just, I'm excited to see uh, just a glimpse of the ways. And we've already started to see it, really. Uh, Elisha's not even up yet. And we've already seen people's lives change and, and many, many to come. Give God a hand on that one. Yeah. Man. I want to thank, thank the Fouts family for sharing their story with us uh, because I think it just brings home this whole truth. You know, God doesn't promise us that we're exempt from pain and struggle. I mean, life in a broken world that God is trying to redeem. And he does redeem. It, it hurts. We lose. We get disappointed. Uh, we struggle. It doesn't go our way. And yet, he promises us this, that he'll show us the meaning and the miracle. Sometimes you get the meaning and you don't quite see the miracle. Sometimes you get the miracle, you don't always see the meaning. Sometimes you get both. But that's what he promises. Paul concludes, what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? What struggle can be against us if God is for you? You, you can get through the diagnosis. You can get through the divorce. You can get through the depression because God's for you. And there's meaning in that. And you know, you see that story and you go, Here, here's a family who just says, God, heal him. And, and God's untangling that day after day and week after week. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? There it is again, all things, all 
things.